Good evening. For those of you who may not know me, my name is Mark. You probably should get to know me. I can't get to know all of you, so I'm going to put that off on you. Uh, I am one of your elders. I'm the newest elder here at Calvary Chapel Buell. And I'm actually, I like to think a pretty nice guy. If you're not sure about that, though, you can ask my wife. She tells me recently that I've been struggling with crankiness. So, you know. <laughs> um, we've belonged to a lot of churches, Debbie and I, over the years. And in most of those churches, I was simply known as Debbie's husband. Somehow it seems like in this church I've become known as Josh's dad. So if you didn't know who I was, now you might have a little bit of an idea. Now I'm not going to step on Jackie's series. I don't want to, I feel nervous enough following Jackie. So I'm not going to continue with Jeremiah. He'll pick that up the next time. We're going to take a look today at 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 through 29. I'd like to speak to you tonight about a subject that's near and dear to my heart, and that subject is false teachers. And John teaches us a little bit about this in this section of scripture. Also, it's been a while since I've been in the pulpit, so if it looks like I'm reading most of my message, that's because I am. So give me a little bit of grace there, please. Let's uh, go ahead and read the scripture, beginning in verse uh, 18. It says, children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointed, anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie just as it has taught you, abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your word and the things that you teach us from it. Lord, I pray that as we go through this passage of scripture, that you would open our hearts and minds, that you would teach us, that your spirit would soften our hearts, and that we would learn the things you want us to learn here tonight. We thank you, Lord, for your many blessings, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So I'm sure you've heard it said, it makes no difference what you believe just as long as you are sincere. That statement seems to be the personal philosophy of our society today. It doesn't matter what you believe, as long as you're sincere in your beliefs, you're gonna be okay. But it's doubtful whether most of those who make that statement have really thought it through. Is sincerity the magic ingredient that makes something true? If so, then you ought to be able to apply that to all of life and not just to religion. For example, imagine a nurse in a hospital gives some medicine to a patient and the, and the patient becomes violently ill. The nurse is sincere in believing that she gave the patient the correct medication, but it was wrong. And the patient almost dies. Sincerity doesn't really count for much in that situation. And we can see real life examples of this all around us today. In fact, we see more and more examples of sincerity that is sincerity in something that is not true. All you have to do is open the internet, open a newspaper, turn on the TV. Recently, this, within the last month, um, a church called Bethel Church, you may have heard of them, uh, claimed to eliminate racism from the church using apostolic authority, and I kid you not, a line from a movie. You can't make this stuff up, folks. This is true. I saw the video online, they get out there on the stage, and a woman pastor dressed in a wizard's outfit with long flowing robes and a belt and a bag hanging off her side, holding a staff, begins to tell and admits how the Lord of the Rings affected her and that we need to banish racism from the church. And she says, we're going to banish racism through apostolic authority, and she holds the staff up, and she says, you shall not pass, and she slams the staff down on the stage. And then the other leaders from the church gather around her, and they all put their hands on the staff, and they raise the staff up a second time, and they say, you shall not pass, and they slam the staff down on the stage. And then they say, now we need agreement from all of you. I'm thinking, wait a second, you said you had apostolic authority. But anyway, they gather all around again and they tell the audience, say with us, and they raise the staff up and slam it down and say, you shall not pass. And then they claim that racism has been abolished in the church. Now, I don't like to name names and call people out, but let's face it, folks. Racism is a sin. It's a sin that begins deep in the human heart. It's a sin that is warned about over and over and over again. And if removing that sin was so simple as standing up on a stage and slamming a staff down, then maybe we should try it on some of our other sins. It takes more than sincerity to make something true. Faith in a lie will always have serious consequences. Faith in the truth is never misplaced. It does make a difference what a person believes. Now in this section of 1 John, we're warned about the conflict between truth and error. A warning about false teachers. It is not enough for a believer to walk in the light and to walk in love. Those are two things that a believer must do. But it's also important that a believer walks in the truth. The issue here is truth. 
And if you don't walk in the truth, then there will be consequences. Before John talks about the consequences of turning from the truth, he emphasizes the seriousness of this matter. He does this by using two specific terms. One is the phrase, the last hour, or sometimes you read it, it'll say the last days. And the other term is antichrist. I love that word, antichrist. I don't love antichrist, but I love the word because it's so descriptive. It is anything that is against Christ. There's really not much debate there, is there? If you are with the spirit of the Antichrist, then you are against Christ. I don't know about you guys, but that's not a place I want to be. Both of these terms make it clear that Christians are living in an hour of crisis and must guard against the errors of the enemy. The last days or the last hour is a term that reminds us that a new age has dawned on the world. In uh, 1 John chapter 2, verse 8, John writes, The darkness is past, and the true light now shines. Since the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God is doing a new thing in this world. All of the Old Testament history prepared the way for the coming of Jesus and his work on the cross. All history since that time, from then until our day today, is the preparation for the end, when Jesus will come and establish his kingdom. I just want to add here that there is nothing more that God must do for the salvation of sinners. You don't need to dress up like a wizard and carry a staff to church. When Jesus said, it is finished, he meant it. And as we get closer to Jesus' return, we will find that there are going to be more and more new revelations or new words from God. There will be new prophecy and new knowledge, but friends, none of it will come from God. Everything we need, he has given to us, and it's right here. Now you may wonder, but if it was the last hour in John's day, why hasn't Jesus returned? Well, that's an excellent question, and we find the answer here in the Bible. God is not limited by time the way we are. You see, God created time. He lives outside of time, but he works in human time. I know that's a confusing thing, to, but just think about it for a minute. Before God created the world, there was no time. There was eternity. When God created the universe, time comes into existence along with everything else. And so God is not a part of time. He created it. In 2 Peter 3.8, it says, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And Peter here is not talking about uh, God's measurement of time against our measurement of time, he's using that as an illustration that time is a different to God than it is to us. And he's telling us that every day that Christ does not return is a gift. It's another day for us to do his work, to choose that path that Jack, Jackie talks about, to choose life, and to help bring other people to repentance and to belief. The last hour began back in John's day, 
and it has been growing in intensity ever since. There were false teachers in John's day, and since then, they have increased in number and in influence. The last hour or the last times are phrases that describe a kind of time, not a period of time. John recorded the characteristics of his time, and we see those same characteristics being played out today, but more often, and, and in ways that, that they are seen by more people, the internet, for example, and in greater intensity. In other words, Christians have always been living in the end times, in crisis days. Because of this, it is critical that we know and understand what we believe and why we believe it. The second term, Antichrist, the word that's translated as Antichrist, is used in the Bible only by John. It describes three things. One, a spirit in the world that opposes or denies Christ. Two, the false teachers who embody this spirit, who, who uh, promote this spirit in the world. And three, a person who will head up the final rebellion against Christ. The spirit of the Antichrist has been in the world all the way back since Satan declared war on God in Genesis chapter 3. The spirit of the Antichrist is behind every false doctrine and every religious substitute for the truth of Jesus. Satan is fighting Christ and his eternal truth, and he is substituting his counterfeits for the realities found only in our Lord Jesus. And so the spirit of the Antichrist is at work in the world today, and eventually that work will lead to the appearance of what I've heard called a satanic superman. He's referred to as the Antichrist, capital A. He's also called the man of sin or the man of lawlessness. So John, in this section, explains that there are two forces at work in today's world. Truth is working, believe it or not, through the church and the work of the Holy Spirit. No one else holds the church, the truth. We are the ones who hold the truth. And evil is working by the energy of Satan, by the spirit of the, excuse me, by the spirit of the Antichrist. So again, does it make any difference what you believe? It makes all the difference in the world. And it makes all the difference in the next world. We are living in crisis days. We are living in the last hours. And the spirit of Antichrist is working in the world. It is vitally important that we know and understand and believe the truth and be able to detect the lies when they come our way. John in this passage gives us three outstanding marks or three outstanding characteristics of the false teacher who is controlled by the spirit of the Antichrist. The first one of those is in verse 19, and that is simply that he departs from the fellowship. Verse 19 says, They went out from us, but they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. <clears throat> Here's a sobering thought. The word us refers to the fellowship of believers, the church. Not everyone who is part 
of an assembly of believers is necessarily a member of the family of God. Now, if that's a seeker, if that person is a seeker coming to the church to find the truth, amen, praise God. But all too often there are people who are deceivers who sit in the pews week after week, month after month, and the gospel doesn't change them, and they remain lost, oftentimes living with false hope that they are in fact saved. Sobering thought, and it's something to consider. My point here is that a person can belong to a local church and not be part of the true spiritual body of Christ. <clears throat> and you know, there's a lot of unfortunate divisions among the people of God today. Uh, you know, we argue and separate and split over some of the silliest things, and I'm not going to go into that because you probably all know some of them or have experienced some of them. But all true Christians have certain things in common, regardless of what church they go to. Remember, I said all true Christians. They believe that the Bible is the word of God and that Jesus is the son of God. They confess that men are sinners and that the only way one can be saved is through faith in Christ. They believe that Christ died as man's substitute on the cross and that he rose again from the dead. They believe that the Holy Spirit indwells true believers. And finally, they believe that one day in the future, Jesus will come again. See, these are the core beliefs around which we can all rally, no matter what church we belong to or what church we attend. If you study the history of false cults and anti-Christian religious systems in the world today, you will be surprised to find that in many cases, the founders started out in a local church. Then something happened. Something changed their mind and they began to drift. And eventually, they left the church. They were with us, but they were not of us. And so they went out from us and started their own groups. Any group, <clears throat> no matter how religious they seem, that separates itself from a local church that holds to the word of God must be immediately suspect. And I, I, I confess, I'm a closet, clinic, a closet, closet cynic. <laughs> and I can't speak very well either. <clears throat> Often these groups follow human leaders and books that men have written rather than Jesus Christ and God's word. The Bible makes it clear that it is dangerous for people to depart from the fellowship and that that leads into error and ultimately into lies. <clears throat> the second mark of a false teacher that John mentions in this chapter is he denies the faith. In verse 22 and 23, John writes, who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. The key question for a Christian is who is Jesus Christ? Is Christ merely an example? Is he a good man or a wonderful teacher? Is he God's first creation? Or is he God come in the flesh? John's readers knew the truth about Christ or else they would not have been saved. You all know the truth because you have the Spirit of God 
and the Spirit teaches you the truth. Paul writes in Romans 8, 9, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. In fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. John and Paul both pointed out that true Christians know God and have received the Spirit of God. And because they have believed the truth, or because they have believed the truth, they recognize a lie when it's presented to them. I got to tell you, when I saw that video, something in my spirit just went, ah, I'm not too sure about this. And then something went, oh, this is bad. The Spirit helps lead us into truth. The great claim of the faith that sets a Christian apart from others is this. Jesus Christ is God come in the flesh. Not all preachers and teachers who claim to be Christians are really Christian in their belief. There are lots of groups and cults and, and religious bodies that think Jesus is something other than God, that he is God's first creation, uh, that he is God's force for working in the world. Uh, there's all kinds of crazy notions out there. If a group confesses or a person confesses that Jesus Christ is God come in the flesh, then they belong to the true faith. If they deny Christ, then they belong to the Antichrist. You see, there's no gray ground here. There's no neutral area. You either believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, or you don't. Those who deny it are in and of the world and are not like true believers called out of the world. Now that confession to confess that Jesus is God comes in the flesh involves more than simply to point to Christ and say, this is God come in the flesh. The demons did this exact same thing, but it didn't save them. Mark 1.24, we read, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. You see, Satan and his minions know who Jesus is. And they confess that Jesus is Christ. But they aren't saved. If you have trusted Christ and have confessed your faith, you have eternal life. This confession, though, includes repentance and forgiveness. It includes admitting to and turning from your sin. It's demonstrated by fruit. It's demonstrated by changes in your life. Those who cannot honestly make this confession do not have eternal life. And friends, that's a very serious matter. <clears throat> George Whitefield, a great British evangelist, was once speaking to a man who was concerned for his soul. He asked the man, Sir, what do you believe? Well, I believe what my church believes, the man replied res respectfully. <clears throat> and what does your church believe? The same thing I believe, the man responded. And what do you both believe, the preacher asked. We both believe the same thing, was the only response that the man could give. You see, this is an example of a person who didn't know what they believe, who didn't understand what they believe, nor did they know why they believed it. A person is not saved by reciting a church creed. 
He's saved by trusting Jesus Christ and bearing witness to his faith. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. A religious leader who comes along with something new or comes along with a wizard's gown and a staff, that contradicts what believers have heard from the beginning is not to be trusted. John repeats this warning again in, the, in chapter 4. <clears throat> and I'm convinced that when the Bible repeats something, it's because it bears, re- excuse me, it bears repeating. Or maybe it's just that God knows how forgetful we are. And if it bears repeating, it bears us paying attention to it. <clears throat> in John, 1 John 4, 1 through 6, John writes, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Does this sound familiar? This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. The truth of the matter is, that false teachers try to convert others to their anti-Christian doctrines. And this deception is the third mark of a man who has turned away from God's truth, and that is that he tries to deceive the faithful. In verse 26, John writes, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. See, they are out to seduce the faithful. That's what some of the versions say. They, are out to, they, they write these things about those who are trying to seduce you. <clears throat> the word seduce carries the idea of being led astray. We have been warned that this would happen. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. That's 1 Timothy 4.1. <clears throat> the devil's purpose is to lead Christians astray by teaching them false doctrines. We should not accept everything a person tells us simply because he claims to believe the Bible. Because it is possible to pull scriptures out of context and to twist the Bible to make it mean almost anything. I recently saw a shirt that I seriously considered buying. It says, I can do all things through a verse taken out of context. I may still buy that shirt. But truthfully, it is possible to twist scripture to mean what you want it to mean and to say what you want it to say. And let me give you an example. If you combine parts of Matthew 27.5 and parts of Luke 10.7, you can get this. Judas went out and hanged himself 
now go and do likewise. You see, these teachers, these false people are clever, and they will twist the word, and they will make the word sound appealing, and they will make the word look good, but it's still a lie when they're twisting it and misusing it. Satan is not an originator. He is a counterfeiter. He imitates the work of God. And this is why we must all test the spirits. And by the way, I might get in trouble for saying this, but it says test all the spirits. And I mean all the spirits. Anyone who gets up on this platform and opens the word and teaches from it, you need to test the spirit. Men start out with good intentions. But they are sometimes led astray. We've had that warning here from Scripture tonight. And sometimes they make mistakes. And you know, if I ever come up here and make a mistake, I want someone to come up to me later and say, hey, I need to talk to you about what you said. Because I want to be a workman who correctly handles the word of truth. And so those who teach you, whether it's a pastor sermon that you listen to, something on the radio, something you read, you need to test the Spirit to find out if it is really in accordance with what God's Word says. You know, it's kind of like counterfeit money. When they teach people how to detect counterfeit money, they do it in an interesting way. They have them handle a whole bunch of real money. Because when they've handled real money for so long and a counterfeit bill passes through their fingers, they go, oh, there's something wrong with this bill. You see, and in order for us to have that skill, we have to handle the real thing. And we have to test the spirits. One of Satan's most successful plans during the last days is to plant something counterfeit wherever Christ plants the truth. And it's important that you be able to detect the counterfeit and separate the teachings of Christ from the t false teachings of the Antichrist. And how does a believer do this? Well, we've already talked about handling the real thing, studying the real thing, understanding the real thing. But the other part of that is depending on the teaching of the Holy Spirit. A real believer is anointed by the Spirit of God an anointing that sets him apart for his ministry, an anointing that sets him apart as one of God's priests. And we have seen that false teachers deny the Father and the Son, but they also deny the Spirit. Now they may say, the Spirit told me, or the Spirit gave me utterance, or a lot of other things that sound biblical, but what comes out afterwards is oftentimes not. The Spirit and handling the word of truth will help us to separate the truth from the lies. The Spirit guides us into the truth and helps us to recognize error. This is why some Christians are led astray to believe false teachings, because they're not handling the truth correctly, and they're not listening to what the Spirit is telling them. John closes this section with a final warning that I, I like to call the three A's. In verse 28 and 29, John writes, And now, little children, abide in him, 
so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. The first A that John mentions in that passage is abide. You must recognize the importance of abiding in Christ, of living in Christ. In fact, this has been the theme of the first two chapters of this uh, epistle of 1 John. John talks in the first two chapters a lot about abiding in Christ. You abide in Christ by believing the truth, obeying the truth, and loving other believers. You know, it, it's difficult in practice, but obedience, love, and truth is a pretty simple concept, don't you think? Obedience, love, truth. If you're a believer and you find yourself out of step or out of fellowship with God, it's most likely because you have disobeyed his word, you have lacked love for a brother, or you have believed a lie. The solution is to confess your sin, ask for God's forgiveness, and turn from your sin and back to the truth. Obedience, love, truth. If you don't get anything else out of this message today, those three things are critical. The second A is appear. This is the first mention in this epistle of the promised return of Christ. The book of Revelation, of course, deals in great detail with those future events. And though Christians will not be judged for their sins, they will be judged on the basis of their faithfulness in serving Christ. There's another sobering thought for you. We are not exempt from judgment. We are exempt from judgment of our sin. But we are not exempt from what we have done and the way we have handled the truth of God, the way we have served Christ. Those who have been faithful will receive rewards, and those who have not been faithful will lose rewards. This event is called the judgment seat of Christ. And don't confuse this with the great white throne judgment. That's the judgment of unsaved people at the end of time. But the fact that Jesus Christ may return at any moment, and I have to confess this is not a big enough, a big enough incentive for me, but the fact that he could return at any moment ought to be a really big incentive for us to live in fellowship with him, to be obedient to his word, and to walk in the truth. I mean, he could come back before I finish this message. And what's he going to find us doing? That's something I need to think about more often as I go through my day. And so for this reason, the prediction that Jesus is coming again, John uses a third term, and that's ashamed. Some Christians will be ashamed before him at his coming. Man, you know, when you really stop and study this book, it really opens your eyes. It really makes you stop and think. Will you be ashamed at his coming when you face Jesus? Will you be ashamed of the way you've lived your life, of the, of the way you've served him? All believers are accepted. All true believers are accepted. But there's a difference between being accepted and being acceptable. When I was a, a young boy, 
probably about 10 years old, they started, this is gonna give you an idea of how old I am, they started building Interstate 15 right through the area that I lived. In fact, I lived on this side of the street, on this side of the street was another row of houses, and right behind that was Interstate 15. And at this particular section of it, it went up a really steep hill. And for several days, bulldozers and grading machines and you know all kinds of stuff had been going up and down the hill, up and down the hill, grading that hill, I think getting it ready to lay asphalt. And uh, the day before the rain started, it was eight spotless lanes of dirt, all nice and even and ready to go. And then the rain hit. And it rained for four days solid. That almost never happens in California. On the fifth day, me and my friends said, we got to get out of the house. Actually, I think more likely my mom said, you got to get out of the house. And so we went off and we were playing and we ended up one of the places we often ended, which was on the construction site. And we discovered that that nicely graded piece of property, eight lanes of graded hill, was slick, soft, gooey mud. And we played in it. We slid from the top of the hill to the bottom, and we jumped up and down, and we threw mud at each other. And when I got home that day, I'm, I kid you not, I, there was not a speck of my body that did not have mud on it. I even had mud in my mouth. I think it took like three days to get all the mud off of me. I remember my mom standing at the door with her mouth open looking at me and telling me, go get the hose, you're not coming in the house. Now, I was accepted back into the house, but my mom made it very clear that my behavior and my condition was not acceptable. And that's how it could be for some of us when we face Christ. We will be accepted, but he will let us know that parts of us were not acceptable. And we will lose rewards for those parts. Another sobering thing to consider. You don't want to be ashamed when he appears. Second Corinthians 5.9 says, Therefore, also, we have as our ambition to be pleasing to him. Well, what's your ambition? If someone asked you outside of this service, what's your ambition? I wonder if the first thing you said would be, I want to be pleasing to him. Probably wouldn't be for me, I'll confess. But it should be. It's something we should all consider and think about. And so Christians do not simply believe the truth, they do it. A person who professes to be a Christian, but who does not live in obedience, love, and truth, is either deceived or is a deceiver. A child bears the nature of his father. I cannot tell you how many times since Josh grew up that people have come up to me and said, you look just like your son. And I always say, no, he looks just like me. I came first. 
A child bears the nature of his father. And in the same way, a person who has been born of God will reveal the characteristics of the Heavenly Father. Now note, I'm not talking here about the way we look face to face. That's, that's on the human level. But we should reflect God's characteristics. Love, truth, obedience to him. Ephesians 5.1 says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. 1 Peter 1, 14 and 15 says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. And 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Christ Jesus is in you? unless indeed you fail to meet the test. And so in closing tonight, I just want to ask, does your life bear the marks of obedience, love, and truth? Is your Christian life something that's real, something that's genuine, something that other people can see, something that's authentic, or is it counterfeit? That question is one of truth or consequences. And if you do not face the truth, you will pay the consequences. And none of us want that. Why don't you stand and let's pray. Father God, again, we are so thankful for your word and the things that you can teach us. And we confess here tonight that too often love, obedience, and truth our side issues in our lives. Help us, God, to be people who seek after those things, to be people who seek to obey you, to please you, to be people who love one another, and to be people who seek after and live the truth. We know, God, that you are a great God and that you are mighty, and we know that at any time, Christ could return and we have to ask ourselves what will he find us doing in this world today surrounded by counterfeits surrounded by lies it's easy for us to get distracted we pray Lord that you would help keep us focused on your word and your truth that we may indeed be pleasing to you Lord we thank you for your many blessings and we ask these things in Jesus name Amen.